Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you to all our praise teams this morning, all of our campuses. Thank you for being here, however you're watching this, online or at a campus here at Rock Spring. We're thrilled you're here. Hey, Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, you have your Bibles? If you don't, it'll be on the screen in just a moment. Luke chapter 5, I started this sermon series three weeks ago. This will be the fourth sermon. I want you, Jesus would say, for the Lord's army. What does God want from us? What, where do we start? What's boot camp look like? for God working uh, in our hearts and lives. Well, first of all, we learned he wants us to take care of us, yourself, right? That is knowing that you're saved, being baptized after you're saved, being a member of a church. Second thing we learned is he wants you to take care of the church, right? That every person in this room who's a child of God, every person watching me who's a child of God, no matter where you are, what room you're in, you should be serving your church, and so you find your giftedness that God has given to you, you, um, uh, you compare that with your passions, your abilities, and uh, we'll find a place for you to serve. That's what C4 is all about. Make sure you sign up for that. Thirdly, last week, we talked about God wants you to take care of your sin. Don't let sin slow you down. Well, let me get to the fourth sermon today. What does God want from us? Number four, God wants us to take care of others. God wants you to care about the spiritual condition of other people. I'm going to talk about that for a little bit this morning. Hey, there was a 2006 movie called The Guardian. And it had Kevin Costner and Aston Kutcher in it were maybe two of the main stars in it. And it was about saving lives for the Coast Guard. And Kevin Costner was the old grizzled veteran and Aston Kutcher was the you knew, you know, new up and comer, full of pride guy that thought he knew everything. And he's having a conversation with Kevin Costner one day. And he said, Hey, Hey man, what's your number? And Kevin Costner said, my number is 22. The young guy said, 22, really disappointed. I thought you'd have many more than that. And what Ashton was asking him is, how many people have you saved? How many people have you pulled out of the water? How many people's lives have you, have you spared? And he said, I, I thought it'd be a lot more than 22. Costner looked over at him in character and said, 22 is the number of people I lost. That's the only number I've ever counted. It's the number of people I've lost the only number I've ever counted. I have a feeling that in heaven, the number of people that are lost is the number that God is counting. When we get to the book of the Revelation, we see in Revelation chapter 5 that there's a great multitude around the throne, that there's a great uh, every nation, tribe, and tongue around the throne. We get an innumerable number. Now hear me, I know for a fact God is God. God knows exactly how many of us are there. But also know this, that if God's counting a number, it may not be the number of people that are just saved, but it's also the number of people who are lost and on their way to hell who need to be saved. 
I'd say this to you, church, that that's the number we need to be concerned about. Right? We, we say it here. We're not trying to fill a building. We're trying to reach a city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we count the number of people coming, but we also know the number of people who are around us, who are lost without Christ, who need to be here, who need to be saved. And when we talk about reaching a city, obviously we're talking about Peavine City. That is a 20 mile radius of my pulpit right here in Rock Spring, Georgia. And yes, that includes our Rossville campus and our Dalton campus and our online campus. Yes, it includes places we've yet to go, but those are the numbers we're concerned about. We're not just concerned about the numbers that are here. We thank God for those, but we're concerned about the numbers who are not here. There's two ways you can look at this idea of people around us who are lost. First of all, you can look at numbers. Now, for some reason, people get very upset when you start talking about numbers uh, in a church. That, That should not be. I don't know a pastor in the world who's only concerned about numbers, but numbers are indicators of the condition of a church. And by the way, God loves numbers. He has an entire book titled Numbers. He invented numbers. God started counting in Genesis chapter 1. He counted all through the Old Testament. He counted all through the New Testament. God was concerned about numbers. Like, for example, the New Testament, God said, would you not leave the 90 and 9 and go and find the 1? Now, God could have said, why don't you leave the whole bunch of sheep and go find uh, a few sheep? That's not what he said, because God cares about numbers. He said, leave the 99, go find the 1. We know in the book of Acts, God is counting. We know how many people were saved at the very first church service it was thousands and the second one thousands like God cares about numbers and when you think about lost people there's two ways to think first of all you think numbers numbers what do you mean by numbers I mean by numbers that's us trying to reach the masses right that's me giving an invitation on a Sunday morning so people can be saved. That is us posting something on social media so thousands and sometimes tens of thousands people can see it. That's you putting a yard sign in your yard so hundreds of people can see that invitation to church so they can come to church and hear the gospel. We don't know every name that sees a yard sign, so we're just going after numbers. By the way, the Bible would call that fishing with a net. We see fishing in the Bible and we think rod and reel. That's not how they fish. They fished with a net. They just threw it out and tried to drag the multitude in. So when you start thinking about people who need Christ, yes, we think about the numbers. Yes, we think get as many people together as what we can, preach the gospel and let them be saved. The other Sunday, we had 23 people saved on one Sunday. That's numbers. That's what we want to do. But another way to think about people who need Jesus is not just numbers, it's, it's names. See, for you, for me, I'm preaching to the numbers. But for you, I'm preaching to the names. That's your family members who need Jesus and need to be in church. And that name is in your heart and your mind. That's your coworkers. That's your friends. That's your personal invitations that you're giving out. Typically, a preacher preaches to the numbers. But listen, ladies and gentlemen, you have got to reach the names. Because there are no numbers without the names. And God wants you to reach the names. Those people in your life that need Jesus. Those people in your life that it's your responsibility to go after. Those people in your life that desperately need to be back in church. Your job 
is the names. Individually, our job is the names. On a Sunday, I'm preaching to the numbers, and I want the names to be saved. We see a passage in the Bible where God talks about numbers and the names. So can we read that to you today? Would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? And it'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. Luke chapter 5. Look at verse 17 with me, if you will. If you've been in church for any length of time, you'll know this story. It says, Luke 5, 17, on one of those days while he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. The Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came carrying on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, there's the numbers, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. Now, follow me here in this story. All right, so these men have a man who's paralyzed. They want to get him to Jesus. And so they try to get him into the crowd to lay him at Jesus' feet. The crowd's so big, they can't get to Jesus. So they go up on a roof, they rip a hole in the roof, and they lower the man down, assuming on some kind of rope or cloth or something. They lower him down at the feet of Jesus. He's paralyzed on a mat. Jesus sees him and says, your sins are forgiven. Not exactly what they're looking for. I'll tell you that in a moment. And the Pharisee, and they're like, Pharisees, like, what, who, 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 what do you think you are forgiving sins? And Jesus said, now follow me. Some people get confused here on the theology. Jesus said, which is easier to say? Say. Son, your sins be forgiven or get up and walk. Which is easier to say? Help me. Sins are forgiven. You know why? I can't see that. But if I say get up and walk, it's like if I put my hand on you and say, be ye skinny in the name of the Lord. Right? We need evidence. Right? We, we need to see it happen. We need the shrinkage to take place immediately. But if I say, your sins are forgiven, here's some bathwater thrown on top of you, you're like, well, I mean, I didn't see it happen. I guess, I guess it worked. So Jesus said, well, which is easier to say? Well, obviously, it's a rhetorical question. So then look at verse 24. But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher and go home. And immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded and they were giving glory to God and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. Thank you. You may be seated. Right, so here we are in this passage. Jesus was dealing with the numbers, the large crowds. And some guy wanted to get their friend to Jesus, and they knew that this was Jesus or nothing. So quickly this morning, let me make three points about this story that mattered to us. Because every one of us have people in our lives that we need to get to Jesus. Every one of us have people in our lives that we need to bring to the feet of Jesus. So what would God say to us through this story? Let me tell you two, three things. Number one he would say this, Jesus is their biggest need. Jesus is their biggest need. Now I want to pick up preaching in the middle of the story. Like we'll talk about the beginning in a second. Let's talk about the middle of the story. 
Now, here was a man who was paralyzed. Now, we don't know what level of paralyzation we were that he was in. We assume it's a pretty extreme level of paralyzation. Now, let me tell you what that would have meant in that day. That none of the resources we have today existed then. It would have meant that this man was poor. It would have meant that this man was destitute. It would have meant that this man had problems at home. He would have had family problems. Maybe it was some kind of accident where he was paralyzed. Maybe it was some kind of injury where he was paralyzed. Maybe it was some kind of disease that paralyzed him. But here's what we know about this man. All this man wanted in life. Like sometimes somebody will say to me, preacher, how can I pray for you? And I hesitate for a minute. And I want to, I got to think, how do I want to answer that question? Like I, I want to make sure I get it right. But listen, you ask this man, how do you want to, how can we pray for you? You know what he's going to say every time? I can walk. Here was a man who knew what he wanted. He wanted to be whole. He wanted to be, have a job. He wanted to be a dad. He wanted to be a husband. He wanted to walk again. He wanted to have a measure of pride in his life. We look at this man that they're picking up. His major problems are physical, emotional, and financial. His major problems are physical, emotional, and financial. Physical, he wants to be made whole. Emotional, no doubt he's down and depressed, laying on the street every day of his life, begging people for just a little bit of charity. And then financial needs, there's no way he's able to take care of his family, that his family is now relying on the generosity and charity of others. And so his major needs are physical, emotional, and financial. So they lower him down in front of Jesus And Jesus does this. Verse number 20. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, can you imagine the four guys on the roof were like, hey, somebody tell him that's not why we brought him. Like, who's going to say, who's going to be, like, somebody's got to tell him. It's not why he's here, Jesus. Why? Because if you'd listed out this man's problems, spiritual problems, Listen, I promise you, spiritual would not have been on your list. It wasn't on his. It wasn't on his. Oh, if you'd said to him, what can I do for you? He, he would have at least said, I want to be made whole. Maybe he might have said, hey, Jesus, I, 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 I'm just, I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I need you to cheer me up. Or Jesus, my family is suffering financially. We can barely put food on the table through my begging and through what my wife and kids can pick up. Jesus, would you uh, let us win the lottery? Would you let us get a financial blessing? Like That's what he would have asked for. That's what he wanted. He wanted physical healing, emotional healing, financial healing. He'd take one of those. He'd take two. He'd take all three of those if he could get it. That's exactly what what he wanted but what he did not want was this friend your sins are forgiven can I just stop right there and say this morning you know a lot of people with a lot of problems you know people who have physical problems in their life you know people who have emotional problems in their life You you know people who have financial problems in their life. You know people who have marriage problems in their life. You know people who have financial uh, problems in their life. You know people who have family problems in their life, rather. You know people with a lot of issues. You know people with addiction problems in their life. You know their problems. You see it in your family. You see it when you go to work. You see it on Facebook. You see it on Instagram. You see it all over the place. You know people who have lots of problems. But hear me this morning, church. 
you know what their problem is? Their biggest need is still Jesus. Have you ever been watching a movie and you heard a character scream and thought that scream sounded familiar? For example, you may not know this, but there was a scream in Pirates of the Caribbean, Toy Story, Anchorman, and Avengers Infinity War, and it was all the same scream. It's called the Wilhelm scream. The Wilhelm scream originates from a 1951 movie called Distant Drums. And in it, there's a scene where soldiers are fleeing Seminole Indians wading through a swamp in the Everglades. And one of them is bitten and dragged underwater by an alligator. Well, they're literally in a swampy area and they can't use that scream. So after, in post-production of the movie... Five different actors went in and recorded a scream scream in post-production that they were trying to find one to use it. And it was the fifth actor, the fifth scream, the fifth take that they used. They recorded it and they labeled it, man getting bit by an alligator and he screams. Very accurate title for what happened. It became known as the Wilhelm scream. Let me let you listen to it. Most people will tell you that is a man named Sheb Woolley that recorded the screen. You may not know Sheb Woolley, but you're going to know this. He's best known for his 1958 novelty song called The Purple People Eaters. I'm just a wealth of information. <laughs> but when you hear Scream on television, there's a chance. It's the Wilhelm scream recorded in 1951. Why? That Wilhelm scream to date that they can track has been used over 400 times in movies since 1951. It was even used in 2015 Star Wars The Force Awakens. It is used over and over again. And you're listening to movies all the time. And listen, sometimes it's somebody getting shot. Sometimes it's somebody getting eaten. Sometimes it's somebody who's scared when they open a door. Sometimes it's somebody with a knife. Sometimes it's somebody uh, in, a, in a lightsaber fight. It's all over the place. They use the Wilhelm scream. And here's what I'm saying. No matter what the horror was, the scream is still the same. No matter what tragedy they're facing, the scream is still the same. Listen, that's exactly what's happening in Luke chapter 5. Can I tell you this, that no matter what the problem is, the scream is still the same, and the scream is, I need Jesus. No matter what horror somebody is facing, the scream is still the same, I need Jesus. And when you see people who are hurting 
physically, they need Jesus. When you see people hurting emotionally, they need Jesus. When you see people hurting financially, when you see people hurting uh, uh, every way you can imagine, they need Jesus. Can I tell you, when you see a marriage falling apart, the scream is, they need Jesus. When you see their family a mess, they need Jesus. When you see them addicted to something, listen, their scream is the same. They need Jesus. You say, they could be saved already. They could be. They still need Jesus. The scream is always the same. They need Jesus. What I need you to do today is open your eyes to the hurt that is around you. Sometimes we see that hurt and we don't know how to help them physically, doctor. We don't know how to help them emotionally. We're not qualified for that. We don't know how to help them financially. We don't know how to help them with an addiction. We don't know how to help their family. See, you don't need to know how to help. Here's what you need to know. You need to know they need Jesus. I don't care the depths of their family problem. They need, somebody in the family needs Jesus. Everybody in the family may need Jesus. No matter what the horror is, the scream is always the same. It's they need Jesus. And here's what I'd love for you to do today is open your eyes. Jesus said, open your eyes, look up. The harvest is white around you, meaning this, everywhere you go, every day of your life, people around you are screaming whether they know it or not. They need Jesus. Second thing we learn from the story is not only Jesus is their biggest need, but number two, we learn this, that you have to do what you have to do so they can meet Jesus. Here's everything they had to do to get this man to Jesus. I I just wrote down the steps I could think of. They had to find him, lay on a street somewhere. They had to pick him up. I almost bet you it was one guy that said, hey, I, I got to get this dude to Jesus today. He got there and realized he couldn't do it on his own. And so he went and found friends. The four of them picked him up. They had to carry him. They had to fight the crowd to get to Jesus. They had to give up fighting the crowd. They had to huddle up. Because look, you're just not going to, you got to huddle up. Like, lay the man down. Let's huddle up. What are we going to do to get him to Jesus? I don't know. He's in the house. Thousands of people outside the house. I don't have any idea how we can fight through that crowd because there's a lot of paralyzed people in front of us. There's a lot of sick people in front of us. Well, what are we going to do? One guy says, I got a night of the box idea. What is it? Let's rip the roof off of the house and lower him down through the roof. Another guy was like, I don't want to go to jail. What's the next plan? And so they sit there for maybe another 30 minutes. They're like, we got to hurry this thing up. What's the plan? What's the plan? What's the plan? And finally, nobody else had a better plan. I said, all right, we're going to go with the roof idea. So they went with the roof idea. They had to risk embarrassment. They had to risk personal loss. They had to lift him up on the roof, which would not have been easy. They had to take the roof apart. They had to risk persecution. They had to lower him to Jesus and risk rebuke. Now, I want to just be honest with you. This is not as cut and dry as it seems like when we're reading it 2,000 years later. Because they're on the roof and they're like, boys, once we rip the roof off, there's no going back. We we don't know if Jesus is going to like this. Jesus may preach a sermon on destroying somebody's property. We don't know where this is going to land. We may lower him in front of Jesus. Jesus may have already walked out the back door. Like We don't know what's going to happen, but we're just going to try this. Let's just say a prayer and do it. I just want to tell you this. This was next level stuff to get this guy to Jesus. Next level stuff. They were willing to, to, to risk all of that to get someone to Jesus because they knew Jesus was their only hope because nothing else had worked. Hear me this morning. 
If Jesus is the only answer to our issues in life and eternity, you have to do what you have to do to get those names in your life who need Jesus to Jesus. You may have to risk loss. You may have to risk embarrassment. You may have to risk uh, 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 being uh, shamed or ridiculed on your part. You just have got to do what you've got to do in order to get people to Jesus. If I, if I throw this picture up, does anybody know what movie that's from? You've probably seen the movie. If you know, that's, that's Rose and Jack. And you know the story, Rose lives, Jack, Jack dies. Jack dies because he can't get on the door. The scene in question here takes place on the RMS Titanic. It's sinking, about to go to the bottom. Jack and Rose find themselves swirling in the icy waters where they manage to find a thick door and that they've uh, ripped off its hinges on board. Rose gets on it first and then Jack attempts to get on and he falls off and Jack can't get back on the door. And so... Um, uh, Jack, uh, they float like this for hours and hours until a lifeboat picks them up. And when they get there, Rose is alive and Jack is frozen to death. Ever since that scene released, the question about whether the door had enough room for Jack has always led to contention about the movie. It even prompted an episode of Mythbusters on the Discovery Channel where Mythbusters said if they'd simply tied a life jacket to the end of the door, uh, of, the, of the door on the, in the well, if they tied a life jacket to it, then Jack could have crawled on it and he'd have been fine and he would have been saved. So he died needlessly. Well, James Cameron, the film's director, said that's not true. And he actually did a scientific study with stunt people and determined that there was no room for Jack on the door. So we've got two scientific studies going on. We got Mythbusters that says there was room. We've got James Cameron who says there wasn't room. Then the story, Jack dies. Now, here's all I'm trying to say to this. Rose, you got to get Jack on the door somehow. Like Rose, scoot over a little bit. Tie your life jacket on there. This is life or death. You've got to get Jack on the do door somehow. I'm sure Rose is sweet and all, but all things being equal, give me the four guys who cut the hole in the roof. Like those four guys, they'd got Jack on the door with them somehow. Do what you got to do. Save a life. Church, it's not just lives that are at stake that we deal in. It's their eternal soul. Do what you have to do. I made a list. It's not exhaustive. How many of those names are you praying for in your life, every day of your life? Show me your prayer list that has a name on it. If you don't have a prayer list with a name on it, you're not praying for lost people. Show me a name. I have names on my list I've been praying for for 10 15 years. If I didn't have one list, I wouldn't, I'd forgotten to pray for them and given up a long time ago. Send out an invitation. Go buy their work. Go buy their house. Hey, check in on social media. Right? Like when you come on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, just check in on Facebook. Just, just let people know where you are so they see it. Hang a yard sign in your yard. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Maybe you need to buy somebody lunch. 
carrying them to lunch, buy their lunch, and say, listen, God laid on my heart. I think you really need to be in church. Shoot a live video. I'm going to tell you about somebody who did that in a minute. Shoot a live video. Talking about what Jesus has done in your life, inviting people to go to church. Send somebody a text. You say those things really matter? A couple Sundays ago when we had 23 people saved, there was a fellow, he'll be in one of the services today. There was a fellow who came to the, right here in the Welcome Center to meet me named Skylar. And Skylar came to, I noticed he was waiting on me and I was talking to people and he was diligently, young man is diligently waiting on me. And I, I waited till I finished up and I walked over to him and he had tears in his eyes. And he said, hey, I just want to tell you, I just want to tell you, I, I got saved this morning. My first time here. And I got saved, a young man in his early 20s. And, and, and he didn't tell me this part of the story, but he, he'd been in the service and he didn't know what a next step station was. And he walked out the back door, found somebody in the hallway, and they took him to a next step station over in the overflow room where Daniel prayed with him and he got saved. And so now he's standing out here with me and he wanted to wait around to just tell me that he had just gotten saved. And so, man, I was rejoicing with him, talking with him. And uh, I always ask this question, almost always, well, how'd you, how'd you get to our church? Who do you know here? He said... I, I, don't, I don't know anybody. My neighbor has a yard sign. That neighbor, sweet family in our church, Caitlin, posted this on Facebook that night. You can't read it from here and there's no need for you to read it. I'm going to summarize and tell you what it says. But Scholar had gone by Caitlin's house and hand wrote a note that basically says this. Because you have a sign in your yard, I went to church today and got saved. Thank you for putting a sign in your yard so I could meet Jesus. Do what you have to do so people can meet Jesus. Third thing I'll tell you is this. When you do that, number three, we all get to celebrate a changed life. Jesus saved him. Hypocrites didn't like it, so Jesus healed him. We, you read that in verses 22 through uh, 24. And, and then here's what happened. Immediately he got up. He, I love this. There's a sermon here somewhere. I just, I'm not smart enough to find it. He picked up what used to pick him up and carried it out. And he went home glorifying God. The word in the Greek means celebrating, praising, exalting. And then the Bible says, now that guy runs out the house. He's gone. He's going to find honey and kids. That's where he's going. But everybody else just standing around, four guys on the roof. Everybody else just looking around like, what in the world just happened? And the Bible says that they were astounded. The word in the Greek means ecstatic. Celebrating. Giving glory to God. Filled with awe, fear, and wonder. And here's the point I'm making. Close your Bibles and I'm finished. Well, I'm not quite finished, but you can close your Bibles. Um, Not only did the person healed celebrate, but so did everyone else. Here's the point I want to make. A changed life changes us all. A changed life changes us all. You have to be willing to be, to invite someone to church or tell them about Jesus. But here's the thing. 
Do you know nothing motivates you more in the Christian life than, you, than when you hear what Jesus has done for somebody else? I know it's hard. I know it's hard to go to people and say, your biggest need is Jesus. Matter of fact, I, I know it's hard. Uh, they, they did research. This kind of research always fascinates me. Where they sent, study, uh, they sent uh, people out into the field on a test who had food or lipstick on their face. And guess how many people told them they had food or lipstick on their face? 2.6%. 2.6%. We don't like pointing out people's shortcomings. Even when that shortcoming is Jesus. But listen, we're all missing an opportunity to celebrate when we do it. So here's what I want to do now. I want to celebrate. Let me tell you the story about two people. There's a girl named Miranda here a few weeks ago. Started coming to church in January. Again, she's either in this service or be in a service today. Or has been. And, and so uh, she was one of the ones saved that morning. She, she went out to eat with her family after church. And she sent them into the restaurant while she stayed in her car and shot a Facebook Live video to tell people what had happened to her that morning. We, we saw it. And then we invited her to come and shoot a video. There was another man named Pat. You're going to see Pat again here today. And Pat was a practicing Catholic all of his life. And Pat uh, prayed with me one Sunday morning last year and then was just baptized this year. And he tells you the journey of that salvation and baptism. Listen, can I say this? We can do this every week and we don't have time. But can we celebrate today what God's doing in people's life. Go full screen on this, guys, and watch this video. So my life before Christ was in shambles, and it was questionable, to say the least. Um, I wasn't living the way that I needed to be. And everyone struggles. And I was, I was everyone. Um, I didn't grow up in a household that was religious, and I never really knew where to start. Um, which led me down a difficult path. And then I met my husband. And he changed me for the better. Um, but we still weren't perfect. About a year and a half ago, we actually filed divorce papers and decided that marriage wasn't necessarily what we needed with each other at that point, even though we shared two kids. And somehow... We ended up reconciling, which was the best decision I've ever made, aside from getting saved and baptized and marrying him in the first place. But we did lead a dark path up until that point, and somehow we reconciled and found out what was happening. We um, completed some relationship counseling, marriage counseling, separate counseling as well, to find what our differences were and how to better serve each other. On New Year's morning, I woke up and made this decision. We're all gonna go to church as a family. Um, we had always said, well, Sunday is our family day and going to church would take away from that because our kids are not gonna be right there with us. We're you know, listening to someone else, we're not conversing. 
And that was the absolute incorrect way to think. So we told our kids, jump in the car, we're going to church this morning. Um, and they loved it. We were extremely early, which never happens for us with a family with two small kids. Um, we were extremely early, we went and grabbed breakfast. Um, and we were sitting in the car that morning and my daughter in the back seat said, hey dad, how do you know when you're ready to be saved? And she's seven. He just kind of glanced over at me and he was like, well, that's a really good question. Why don't you ask your mom? Your mom was seven when she got saved. And I just kind of looked at him like, what are you doing to me? Um, and so question marks just filled my head. I didn't know how to respond. I didn't want to disappoint her or him because of all people, he's the one that I felt like I needed to impress. She doesn't know any better. She may not even remember the conversation when she gets older, but he's going to remember this. And um, I just said, well, I just knew I was ready. It was vacation Bible school. I was seven. I was having fun with all my friends. They were all getting saved. It was the right time. And she was just, she was fine with that. She was content with that response. She didn't know to ask any further questions. And, you know, I uh, ended that with, come on, let's go. We're going to be late. Let's go get you dropped off. So that day, Pastor Joel spoke to me directly. Um, and my mother-in-law gave me a bracelet that morning, not knowing anything that's happening. And I wear it religiously now. And it is a bracelet that says, not perfect, just forgiven. And in his sermon that day, with it just pointing at me, the stars aligned. We got to church early. My daughter was asking about being saved. I was given this bracelet talking about being forgiven. And then Pastor Joel's speech hit me like a freight train. And I knew that was God telling me, hello, now is your time. I did not hesitate. As soon as he told everyone to bow your heads, close your eyes, if you need to speak to someone about saying this prayer, I, I was already making my way out to the aisle. I was the first one down the aisle, excited and bawling my eyes out, ugly crying. Um, but it was magical. I felt an immediate hug. It was just like a hug. There's just something about knowing your relationship and your standing with God that is like no other, no other feeling. And that day, I solidified that. And I never knew that's what I needed. And apparently that's what I was missing the whole time. And to anyone questioning their relationship with Christ, there's no reason to be embarrassed. And it's not that you're not a good person, it's that you're just not living for Christ. You can do all the right things, but if you don't have Him in your heart, what are you doing it for? I learned by getting saved and baptized that I'm too proud. I'm way too proud. And not to let pride stop you from doing something that you know you need, because you never know the weight it can lift off of your shoulders and how it can affect your life and all the others around you. And also, you're never too old. I'm just learning, you're never too old. You don't have to be seven to get saved. You can get saved any day of the week in any stage of life and it'll be monumental.
I'm originally from Omaha, Nebraska, but uh, my dad was in the cattle business, and we moved down south, and south being, uh, first of all, Albany, Georgia, and then eventually Montgomery, Alabama, when I was 15. So although uh, I've lived in the south longer than anywhere else, I still have that Yankee uh, uh, accent. I had a, uh, a good life, I thought. Uh, productive. I had two children and uh, I had had a couple of bumpy roads. I've had a uh, divorce and then I remarried and uh, my wife uh, passed away a year ago, about a year and a half, and uh, we were married for 36 years. I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. I was a, I, I called myself a Christian, but I wasn't practicing the faith. I, I didn't read the Bible. I didn't ever attend church other than a funeral or a wedding, but just uh, never, never involved in it. And uh, it was, it was, I thought at the time, okay, but it wasn't. It was, something was missing. So I had a good neighbor that invited me to her church. And I said, sure, you know, I'm open to it. Not knowing what the church was or where it was at. Didn't matter to me, I was gonna attend church because I was seeking, I was seeking the Lord. I hadn't needed a fulfillment. And uh, I attended, here we come, we pull into Peavine. And I'm like, there's something here. I just kind of started growing into it. And uh, about halfway through the service, I mean, I felt the power of the Holy Spirit. And I have never in my life had ever felt that before. Uh, as a Catholic, I had been baptized. I had gone through First Communion. I had Confirmation. Uh, even, uh, you know, the whole, the whole genre of the Catholic Church, except for uh, the death thing. And uh, so all I, but I never got that fulfillment. The first time I got that from Peavine, I came back the following Sunday. And each time I still got that power of the Holy Spirit. I got that something in me that I had never had. I had never felt that before. I had never had that fulfillment before. So now I'm getting jazzed up. I'm ready to try, you know, more. I was scared to be baptized. That was something that uh, was way too much of a commitment that I could make. And I was thinking I was making that commitment to God but I was really afraid that I was making that commitment to the church, and that doesn't, doesn't really play into what I believe in now. Peavine is, is a vehicle to get me to the Lord Jesus. So now I'm coming, and, I, and, and you explained it so well in regards to being baptized, what the significance of baptism and what baptism is really truly all about. And I have the Bible here, and I read it, and I read it every day, and a lot of it I don't understand, and I have still questions, you know, there's, there's things that uh, I don't doubt it anymore, and I know it's the word of the Lord, uh, 
And I think baptism has helped me with that and transitioning, understanding this book more so. And, and uh, I have no doubts. I have no, I don't challenge it anymore, I believe. I'm touching the bottom of my soul and I'm telling my story and it's very personal. And I'm only doing this, I'm doing this for a lot of reasons, but primarily for those souls that are still out there that are sitting on that fence like I was and non-believers. And if I, one little segment of this if they if it would relate to them and if it pulls them in i've done my mission that's all i'm looking for i'm still still old pat welsh and uh it may be uh i may be rough at sometimes but uh i am a different person than what i was prior to attending Pevine prior to the time that i've been baptized i feel the power of the Lord. I know Jesus Christ more than I ever have in my life. Hey church, would you celebrate that man? Is that not awesome? That is so awesome. Would you stand with me across the room, heads bowed and eyes closed? Here's what I want to do today. You may be in the building, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And if you're watching online, Jeremy has a word for you just now. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that great message. Um, and my goodness, those testimony videos of, of people who've gone from death to life. And whether you know Jesus or whether you've never began a relationship with Jesus, when you watch that life change, something was stirred in your spirit. Today's message, Pastor Joel is challenging us to take care of others. We've talked about taking care of ourselves. We've talked about taking care of the church. We've talked about taking care of sin. And today we're talking about taking care of others. And the truth of the gospel is this. Eternity is forever. Heaven and hell are both real. And God has given us responsibility to tell others about Him and take as many people to an eternity in heaven as we can. We've got to be diligent. We've got to do whatever it takes. That's our challenge this morning. But maybe for you, in those testimony videos, you, you identified with Miranda or you identified with Pat. And this whole Christianity thing for you has been a bit of a struggle. Maybe God has used their story in your life this morning to speak to you and you understand that today you need to give your heart and life to Christ. It begins with you understanding that you're a sinner. You've offended God with your disobedience against Him and your sin has separated you from Him. You can't fix that. But Jesus died on the cross, took your place, took your sin to give you His righteousness got to believe that he died on the cross and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day and then you just confess him as your personal Lord and Savior you say God I know that I'm a sinner I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sin and I confess you as my personal Lord and Savior 
If God's spoken to your heart and you need to do that, tell God this right now. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to make a relationship with a Heavenly Father possible. I believe that. Lord, right now I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that for the very first time this morning, hey, welcome to the family. We want to connect with you. There's some things that you need to do, some steps you need to take. We want to help you with that. So if you would, click on the link we've just dropped in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. It's going to ask you three or four questions, and, um, and that information will come directly to me. I'll connect with you this week. What a fantastic time in, uh, in worshiping together with our online family. I, I look forward to these times each week. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.